My name is Dustin Kelly, but everybody calls me DJ. I'm prior Army, serving as both a Ford Observer and a military police officer. I've spent the last 14 and a half years as a police officer and detective in a large metropolitan police department. Two things that I've learned throughout my career. One, everybody has a story to tell. And two, the best stories are true. This is the DTD Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the DTD Podcast. Tonight, Harvey Cheek joins us in the studio. He's an owner in Black Point Tactical and Crucial Concealment, which makes a variety of holsters, pouches, multi-tools, Amtac blade knife sheaths, and their mission is to provide innovative firearm solutions delivered on time to meet the needs of an ever-evolving shooting community. Throughout your experience, we promise to provide you the highest level of customer service and integrity while providing the customer with 100% made in the USA handcrafted products. He's in the studio tonight. He's backed up by a bunch of big guys, and I can't wait to talk about his product. Harvey, welcome. Hey, DJ. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm glad you're on here. So there's so much to talk about. You guys started so small, and you've grown to be humongous now and you have so much backing of the shooting community and professionals that were not only military but law enforcement so let's just start at the beginning so you're in college at georgia tech you got some buddies you decide when you reach 21 you get your concealed you decide hey this equipment's not good and we can do better so let's start right there right we all uh we started carrying we got our permits and then shortly thereafter, we all started training, um, realized that our cloth and leather holsters were not uh, cutting it. So then we decided that we needed Kydex holsters. Um, kind of, they kind of looked like they had simple construction, so we figured we'd be able to make our own. Ordered a, a simple starter kit, and the three of us were making them just in our kitchen in college um, with no really aspirations to commercialize it we we're just trying to make gear for us to carry and then we slowly would start showing them to gun stores and our friends just trying to get feedback on how to make them better and, and so when you start making these what what grade are you in in college it's like, our last it's probably our last six months of our senior year or four and a half and so do you have like aspirations in the future like hey we're going to get out of college and we're going to start these great jobs or like college is ending and oh shit it's ending and or what was it that made you kind of because you said you never had aspirations to kind of put this on the market and then you kind of start steadily growing and, and showing it so what was the outlook for you three um before you graduated right we all had different internships that were transitioning into jobs like I think all, all three of us had separate job offers, um, two in like the commercial real estate side and one in mechanical engineering. And um, toward our last six months, we really started like producing all week holsters and then we'd sell them out all on the weekends. So upon graduation, we figured might as well, let's go for it right now while we don't have any major responsibilities and see where it goes. And so how did the firms that were going to bring you on, how did they take it? Did you just tell them like, look, I, I got a better offer on myself or, or what was it? Because I think that's what scares a lot of people before they break out on their own. They're so worried. I know 
that being in the military and doing law enforcement and stuff, you always kind of look at that job as those will always be there. But I think a lot of people know that jobs that they go after won't always be there until they push themselves completely. Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah. The um, the gentleman that I was working for was, I wouldn't say he was big into guns, but I told him about it. And then the next day he had seven guns in the conference room, told me to take them home and build them holsters for him. So he was he was pretty supportive of it. Um, I think he was disappointed that I was leaving, but he was supportive that we were going forward on our own. I I have a feeling that he was pretty into guns if he brought seven in the next day. I think he was pretty much into them. I would agree with you. Now, when you're doing this, you're building in the kitchen, but also um, I read something about uh, using someone's grandmother's like space in their house. Is that correct? Yes, that was after we graduated and we moved out of like our downtown house. Um, my business partner, Adam, his grandmother had just space in her basement where we could come in, kind of take over and start manufacturing. So we were living and working down there. Um, I think for about the first six months until we just needed a commercial space. So you had kind of the perfect storm of guys though. And, and I want to keep touching on this throughout the, uh, the conversation that we have, but I, I want to bring up points as we do them and then we'll kind of tie them all in together at the end. So as you're in college, two of you are kind of business majors in the school of management uh, you have a mechanical engineering buddy that's part of it. So you kind of have the perfect storm of guys together. Now, that can end up being uh, fatal for some companies because people start to think that they're more important than other people, um, that their uh, input to the company would mean more. But you guys have that. You don't have any problems with that. Adam has a grandma that happens to have space that you can live and work in. And then as you go on and you start building these things and you're talking to law enforcement and retired military and active duty military, then you run into a special forces guy. So how are you guys thinking right now? Are you thinking like you, you got the world by the, the horns or are you nervous? What, what is going on? Because it seems to be going pretty much uncompromised so far. Right. And the, uh, the gentleman you mentioned, we had actually met him probably two or three weeks in, like we were still very unsure of what we were doing. He kind of just approached us in a gun store and said, Hey, I heard you guys are making holsters. And I think we had told like two people. So it wasn't like a big, a big thing we were doing yet. Um, and he invited us back the next day to come meet with him. And then a guy from those in Ranger battalion. And then, um, this other gentleman that was, um, kind of big in the commercial side and we met with them and they gave us a bunch of feedback kind of do this, don't do this. Um, and just key points to make sure our holsters hit and then through their feedback. And then we were going to their training courses and kind of shooting classes and then selling holsters at the same time. So that was, that was keys starting out. So was there ever a compromise because <clears throat> You guys originally started doing this because you you found that the other holsters, the other equipment was inadequate. So you kind of had your vision for what you wanted to do. Then you start meeting with these guys. They give you input. Do you ever at any point go, we're kind of losing focus on what we wanted? Or are you making it, you know, kind of synergistic and everyone's kind of connecting together and the ideas are flowing? Or what, is there ever a point where you're like, well, we're kind of losing focus on what we wanted to do? Or was it all good? 
Um, well, I mean, the way we looked at it, it, these guys had a lot more real world experience than we did. Right. Um, so we were kind of trying to build what they wanted and then using it ourselves. And then there's always points where people ask you for things that you just haven't figured out how to make yet. So there's, there's always that, but I mean, that still happens today. So a question to you would be, did you ever think that this chance encounter with this guy, um, and kind of meeting him and, and do you think it put you ahead of schedule? Do you think that it, it bumped you forward and kind of gave you guys street credibility or what do you think about this chance encounter whenever you look back on it, because you guys have blown up pretty fast in, uh -huh. in what you've done. When you look back on it, do you think this chance encounter is, is pretty much everything that kind of put you on the map and, and got you going or where do you think you'd it be without it? It definitely got us started in the right direction because it got us training a lot and partaking in training classes almost every weekend. And then through those, we were selling a lot, meeting a lot of law enforcement because often those classes were hosted at law enforcement facilities. Right. Um, so it definitely opened the door to people that we're meeting and getting connected to and really started us with not like huge volume orders, but steady orders. And so whenever you're doing this and you're meeting with law enforcement, you're meeting with military, are you seeing difference in designs that they're talking about to you or difference in the stuff that they want? Or was it all pretty much the same uh, just with little tweaks here and there, or were you seeing a major design difference? I think it would depend on the mission of whoever was trying to use it. Okay. For example, if you're going for some undercover law enforcement agency, that might be very similar to anyone that's doing more, not necessarily overt military stuff, where they're right. trying to be more hidden and concealed. So those would work well together. Right. But same as overt law enforcement and overt military where you like have plate carriers and drop legs and everything like that on, then it's not, not the same. And so what are you seeing more? Are you seeing the military? Are you seeing law enforcement? Who are you seeing coming to you the most in these shooting classes? Is it law enforcement? Cause that's where it's being held. Or are you seeing where, um, you're, you're getting kind of through the grapevine now into the military and people are saying, Hey, I need this for out in the field. Because I mean, if we're going to be honest, we've been at war for 20 plus years. I can see need for a lot of your gear out, especially if it's made better than, you know, and someone can purchase it on their own. Right. Um, initially it was a lot of law enforcement because we're meeting with, I don't know, 10, 15 of them at a time. And then they tell their friends and that's just the community that we were plugged in with. And so when, when you see that and you, you start getting around, how is the space doing? So you got the 400 square feet. You, you don't have, it's, it's you guys. Are you, uh, cause I have a buddy that did the same thing as kind of a side job. He started a company, but every night he was putting stuff together and kind of running out of space because he was doing it in his garage and stuff. And he started getting more and more and more popular and um, he started running out of space. So are we still doing good on space, still doing good on money? You guys are living okay. You're not digging in trash cans or anything to eat or anything like that. Uh, we weren't digging in trash cans, but I wouldn't say that we were like living well either. The <laughs> first like 
two years where a lot of work and then all the money you're making, you're dumping back into the company. Right. So once we, uh, once we hired our first employee, I guess that was maybe nine months to a year in, that was, that was a big milestone for us. And that's when we got our first full unit that we're in and full warehouse unit. And you're up to 16 employees now, right? We're at 30. Oh, wow. The last I had read, you were at 16. So you've doubled from that too. Yes. And so what are the, that 30, can you kind of spread out their jobs and what they're doing now? Because when it started, it was you guys doing the marketing, you guys, I mean, do you have full groups of marketing guys and production guys and office people? Yeah, we have um, a few handful of customer service people, um, some uh, dealer, like dealer reps, and then we work with a, a rep group. So we're, we have representation in all 50 states. Oh, wow. Um, but that's not in-house. So that skews your numbers a little. And then most everyone else is production. So how many people would you say you have on production? Uh, 28, 29, 29, something like that. And I bring that up because I want to talk about your lead times and stuff, because I want to talk about not only black point, but also crucial. And the reason that you started crucial, uh, let's talk about lead times on black point. If someone comes to you and they say, look, I need this made, or I want this, or I want to order this. What are we talking about on a lead time? I think at the date of this recording, we're at 16 to 18 weeks on our individual web sales, which is much longer than we'd like to be. Um, the last year really swamped us in terms of volume because just overnight it went, it increased a lot. and We can't just double production on a whim and still produce quality product. So we've been scaling up, but it's been very responsible making sure that everything we build is quality. Well, I, I guess the question would be then did, did COVID have anything to do with you guys? I mean, did it hurt you? Did it slow things down? Because, I mean, if you're looking at it, you're mostly an online, you know, people can go to your website, they can order their stuff. There's not a lot of interaction. Now, the people may be working to build it, that would be where the problem would come in. But did it slow you down at all? Or did it did it keep on going right through that? Um, there were certain supply chain issues that we found just with other people scaling down manufacturing, just getting certain components was a little slower than normal. Um, but other than that, we were mostly full steam ahead. Wow. That that's that, amazing. Cause you don't hear that a lot from a lot of the companies when they run into those supply chain problems, they usually end up uh, either scaling back on their production or just halting production until they can get everything back on because they're of kind of that business mind state that if we can't make it exactly how we want it and when we want to, then there's mm -hmm. no point in doing it. But it's it's good to see that there were ones still out there kind of trudging through it because it hurt a lot of businesses. It shut a lot of uh, businesses down. And when you talk about the stuff that you guys make is, is additional stuff that people want that people, you know, it's, that's going to be expendable cash that they're doing and stuff like that, where they right. want to, to do something nice for themselves or some, you know, a nice present for someone. Um, did you find that during any of that, 
that you had problems with pricing or anything like that where people were like, well, we, we can't go and shoot very often because ammo went up and it was so high and all those kind of things. Did, did that have any effect on you guys or did it, did it just roll through on that where you didn't have any problems with the pricing and everyone was, you know, kind of happy to, to do it because you guys have a wide range of, uh, prices on your stuff. Yeah. I don't think, pricing necessarily hurt us i think lead time certainly did um but i mean that's something that we're we're working through every day and we're we're increasing our volume and our capability all the time um it just might not look like it outward facing so do you think that there's a solution to that i mean with a 16 18 week lead time is there something where you can that you see in the future where you see that drastically cutting down all at once, or is it going to be a very slow process where it's going to take? I mean, no one can fault you for it. It's a, it's you know, right. talking about production and manufacturing. It, it comes with a lot of stuff that a restaurant doesn't come with. Well, hopefully, it doesn't drastically come down all at once. We're uh, we have kind of two avenues that we were trying to reduce lead times. And one was our on-hand inventory section of our Black Point site where we have around 10 to 12 items. Um, our most common items, just standard configurations that we keep in stock. They ship within 24 hours. Um, so that was on the Black Point side. Um, and those were both mini wings and leather wings, so inside and outside the waistband. And then we started a new brand really probably two years before Corona um, called crucial concealment. And we're using a different production process on that. We're using all vacuum forming so that we can standardize everything, um, have everything a lot more accurate, not as handmade, and then pass those production cost savings along to the customer, but still yield a very high quality product. Well, since you bring that up, can you talk about the two different um, kind of steps that you go through to make your black point holsters to make your crucial because I don't think until people see these that they can understand like the quality product that came out. You sent one to me, you sent one to someone I work with. We both love them. I mean, they are high quality. So can you walk us through kind of the production of it? Absolutely. Um, black point, we got everything out computer, uh, initially. And then from there, it's completely hand handmade like the the molding is done by hand the sanding is done by hand obviously all the assembly um but if you look at some of the shapes of like the leather wings and the mini wings and then you start getting into more intricate um paths like all of the rds cuts um adding threaded barrels where we do like the kind of that scallop cut on the slide side of the leather wings all of that is done by hand um, sanding. So there's a lot of art that goes into that. There's a lot of kind of art that goes into the blocking on the molding because we have a pretty wide assortment of lights and firearms that we have availability for. So there's a lot of combinations that we only do one time just because there's so many different combinations. Um, so there's a lot of kind of art and handwork that goes into making each and every one. So that kind of adds to the lead time. Well, let me stop you and talk about that for a minute, because you're not going to find that from a lot of companies that are going to do one and dones or going to build around what you want to build around. So let's talk about kind of how that makes dollar sense 
Maybe not in the beginning, but in the end, because I, I think that there's a reason why you guys do this, but it's more of an end game philosophy. Right. Really? I mean, there's not many people that do the variation that we do. Right. Which there's a huge variation of pistols and a huge variation of lights out there. And we don't offer everything, but we try to offer everything that's that we can reasonably do and recoup our initial investment in in terms of like buying firearms or lights or whatever it is. Well, I, I know when you built mine, you had me send pictures of the light and what it looked like and all the angles of it. And, and I don't think that there is, well, I can't think of any right off the top of my head, any companies that are doing that right now. It's pretty much, this is what you get from this company. These are our, these are our molds. These are our styles. And that's what you get. Right. And we do our best to make sure that we're building accurately to what you have. Like there's some, there's some lights that you can set them up a hundred different ways or not a hundred, but several different ways on each pistol. So on those kind of how I was asking you, we want pictures. I think on yours, there's two or three different variations of that light. So I wanted to make sure that we were building around the exact right one because I want you to have a positive experience. I don't want you to get it and it not function correctly even if we made it off the wrong thing, still be that as our fault that we didn't build correct to what you have. You would agree, though, that's different from a lot of companies. You're not going to get that from companies. You're not going to get where they go, yeah, that's our fault. Uh, we, we, can, we can fix that. I, I'm really interested in you guys' philosophy because looking at the philosophy from the outside, and, and that's what my degree is, too, in marketing and stuff, when I look at it from the outside, what's so interesting about you guys to me is it seems like it can't make money. You, you, does that make sense to me? Uh-huh. It, it, you look at it and you go, well, they're, they're customizing almost everything for everybody. Uh, and then if it's not exactly custom, they're going back in and fixing it. But it almost seems like I said, like an in-game philosophy where you guys are going, look, if we can build it how they want it this first time, they're going to come back six and seven and eight times and they're going to tell all their friends and we're going to load out all their pistols for them, everything that we'll do. Is that is that kind of the idea behind it? Because that's the only way I can figure out how you guys are doing that. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of repeat business. And then you also have the kind of apparent customization where like if you go to Moe's, there's 15 different ingredients, but you can make several thousand different combinations with it. Right. So, yes, we have a lot of different variation in terms of pistols and lights, but then across holsters, there's several different holster models, but then you have 30-something or however many colors, and that doesn't really material materially alter how we're building it. So there's a lot of apparent customization, but then a lot of things are kind of standardized without kind of even realizing that it's standardized. Right. But it, it, it has that feel of, I mean, like I said, you guys with yours and, and the quality of product that comes out with it, I, I, I want to talk about Crucial too because it seems to be made differently than Black Point. No less quality put into it, but it seems almost to be a faster production, get out to the customers faster, and – do you consider that kind of the step up to black point? Like if you're, if you got to get a holster and you got to get it, this is what we want you to do. And then when you have time to do a lead time, we want you to come back and do a black point. Is that kind of the idea behind that too? Absolutely. If you, if you have to have something and you need it 
today or this week, um, and you kind of have more of a, a standard holster or a standard pistol setup, um, Crucial is a great play. Like the OWB Crucial holsters, they ride really tight. The IWBs conceal pretty well. Um, they don't have as much like handwork and detail in them as the Black Point ones, but they're more there's more automation in how we produce them, which is how we pass along the savings and how we make them to stock instead of to order. Can we talk about the difference between Kydex leather and cloth? Like you said, you said the leather and cloth weren't really working. Now, a lot of people that I work with like leather. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's just because that's what they're used to. That's what they've had. um, And that's all they've kind of used. So they're, you know, they kind of stick with what they know. But can we talk about the differences in cloth, leather, and Kydex, and then what you would kind of use each one for? Because I think Kydex overall could be used for all of them, but let's kind of go through cloth, leather, and then into Kydex. Okay. So cloth, other than the original, like, 999 Uncle Mike's, I don't know anyone that's making anything out of those. So I started with one of those, and I quickly realized it was not ideal. Um. Leather, there's a ton of good, like, inside the waistband leather holsters. The main problem I see with them is they collapse when you draw your gun out, and then holstering your pistol is a little uncomfortable because you have to spread the holster back out to get your gun back in effectively. And then you have the the moisture transfer. So as you sweat, you sweat into that leather holster. You're constantly breaking it down. You're constantly transferring moisture into your firearm. So there's that issue of the leather and then with uh let's go with kydex so kydex it's a thermoplastic um you heat it up it'll retain whatever shape it cools at um it doesn't transfer moisture it'll give you like a nice positive retention where i guess leather can but it's much more difficult um you get a lot more positive retention and like click so you know it's seated out of Kydex. Um, it'll generally last longer. You're not breaking it down all the time like you are leather. Uh, it's not going to transfer moisture to your pistol. Let me let me point out something. I think that, and I'm sure you hear it a lot, the complaint that I hear with Kydex is it's kind of unforgiving. That leather and cloth will kind of, it'll go, it. It's not a good way, but it will kind of go with the way you set it and stuff. Kydex is is going to hold kind of its shape. So can you talk to how you get around that? Because that's, I think, what a lot of people have problems with Kydex for is they, they feel that it's unforgiving, which it mm-hmm. should be for what it's used for. But how do you get around that and how do you win those people over into Kydex away from leather, away from cloth, all those kind of things? So that's what we tried to bridge with our initially the leather wing and then later the mini wing was having all kydex on the gun so you get good firm retention um easier to reholster uh, don't doesn't transfer moisture um but still have that flexibility that the leather provides so that's kind of where we started with our leather wing initially we were trying to figure out how to how do we match the the curve of anyone's hip really Initially, we were trying to figure out how to match the curve of a female hip, but it applies to everyone. Um, so we were trying to figure out some sort of a flexible attachment that was strong enough to hold up over time. So we found that leather has been used for holster making forever. 
um, did well with that. Do you have any trouble with any particular kind of weapon or weapon system, any kind of brand or anything? I know that you guys work a lot with SIG. Um, you have exclusive holsters for them. Um, is there one that comes to you over and over again? Maybe not customizable where everyone wants it switched up differently, but is there a brand that you see over and over? And then is there brands that you don't see very often at all, but that people, if they wanted it, can come to you and get that kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, obviously, SIG and Glock are huge and really popular, and that's probably most of what we do. Lately, the Walthers have been pretty popular with the new PDPs and the Q5s and Q4s. Um, a while back, the FNs were super popular when they were doing the, when the 45 just came out, the mm -hmm. FNX 45. That was really popular for a while. Um, but I mean, really, we make them for a lot of things. Like lately, the the Hellcats and the Hellcat RDPs are really popular. It really just depends on what's going on at the time, what trend is there in the market. So like when the 43 Shield, 43X, 365, right. all of those were coming out, all of those were very popular. And so when you, you, you'll see a trend with it, but I guess the point that I'm getting to for people that are listening, if they have something that might be not front of mind or maybe a gun that's been around, can they come to you guys and, and see if you can do it? I mean, is, is it completely possible that you're going to be able to figure out something for them? Yes. Okay. It's, yes. Like everything we can't do, like we do all of the staccatos, which is a more premium high-end pistol, but we, we support all of those. Uh, there's some things that we just don't have yet because it hasn't made sense. I don't want to say financially, but some guns are like five and $6,000 pistols that we're probably going to make three holsters for. So that probably doesn't make sense for us to right. dive right. into yet. Right. So. Uh, so for competition shooting and stuff, are you guys starting to catch on there um, where, where competition shooters are using you or are you seeing that that's a market that's still kind of uh, waiting to be kind of broken into? That's something that we've waited to break into because if we go into that, it's something we need to full, full force go into because the, the competition holsters are a lot different than the normal concealment holsters like we specialize in. And so would that would that cause, I guess, growth issues again, because you're going to have to switch that production line over to that? Or are you going to be able to split it up? Or are you going to have to do completely, I wouldn't say like new facilities, but but somewhere where those things are focused on, and then you have your regular production line, and then of course you have your cr uh, crucial concealment line. Is it something yeah. like that that you're looking at for when you do break into that market? I don't think it would necessarily have to be a wholly new con or production line, but it would have to for sure be wholly new designs, attachment methods. Um, it, it's a pretty, it would be a pretty big project for us to dive into right now. We just haven't had the bandwidth to do it lately. Right. Right. Well, I want to move into our next topic and, and I, this is a very touchy subject right now, but you guys pointed out on your website and, and I want to get kind of your thoughts on, it. I want to talk about the second amendment. I want to talk about open carries, concealed carries that are going on right now. Texas just went through a big thing 
where not only open carry, but now you don't have a have to have a license to carry. Um, so I want to talk to you about a, a lot of different things. First off, I want to know just your thoughts on the Second Amendment. I know that you guys are big supporters of it, but are you seeing that it's causing any kind of um, trouble that you think might not be avoidable in the future? Trouble? How so? So you have a lot of people saying that we need to ban assault rifles. We need to make stricter gun laws. But when you look around and you see places like Chicago, New York City, that have pretty strict gun laws, um, we're still getting a lot of homicides. We're still getting a high crime rate. And people are skipping over some of the other facts that go along with it. Do you think that we'll ever reach a point where people aren't necessarily concerned with the numbers? All they're looking for is to... In guns, and it's happened in a lot of countries that that have absolutely. They come in and they say, you know, we're going to take your weapons because that's the first thing we need to take in order to take control. So, do you absolutely do you see the Second Amendment, or do you see us being strong enough and having enough uh, kind of people pulling in that corner to keep it alive, keep it at the forefront, and be able to continue to to carry like we do right now? It seems like there's several good groups legally fighting for our rights. Um, but there's also a lot of people that are kind of oblivious and don't really care about it. So I guess it's a, a good balancing act of supporting those groups and caring enough to, to go out and one exercise your rights and train and shoot and I guess support the overall industry. And then, yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, also, like you said, it's all about control. So really, I don't think anyone cares about anybody's safety. It's just about exercising control. Yeah, and I think so. And I, I you know, the, the why I bring it up to you is because this seems to be a very hot button topic right now. Every time we have a mass shooting, every time we have something that goes down, that's immediately what we go to. Now, in the job that I've done uh, for 15 years, um, I haven't really ever seen criminals that are going to stores to buy their guns and stuff. They're, they're going to get them another way. They're going to get them with filed off serial numbers or they're going to buy them from their friend or whatever it may be. And there's even loopholes where they could go to a gun show and get it done and things like that. But I think that we've put a lot of things in place, a seven-day waiting period, um, doing criminal background checks, all those kind of things that we've put in place. Is there anything that you see that maybe could quiet down the other side if we add it into looking at it? Uh, I don't really think adding any more regulations is going to do anything beneficial. I I mean, we already have background checks for carry permits. It's a much deeper background check. So, yeah, I think anyone that wants to get a gun and do bad things with it is going to be able to get it anyway. Yeah, and I've heard a lot of people say that if it, 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 almost exactly what you said, if if they're not already car- because what happened in Texas was when they passed this and they say you don't have to have a license to carry, uh, a lot of people were like, well, now everybody's going to carry. We're going to have even more trouble with guns on the street. And then you have the other side that says, look, if you were going to carry a gun, you're already carrying it before this ever happened. This isn't some widespread floodgates that's going to open up and everyone's going to start doing it. However. In saying that, I see a problem with um, some of the stuff that's going on. Like when you talk about having open carries, 
The reason uh, I believe in open carry, but the problem that I see with it is I believe that it makes targets. Absolutely. I, I believe that when people come in to do a mass shooting or to cause damage, the first person that they're going to look at is that person with the holster on or the gun Absolutely. on or whatever it may be. And I think it causes a lot of trouble. The second problem that I think it causes is I think you get a lot of people that want to be badasses and just carry it on the outside of their gun, not really knowing either how to use that or how they are going to use that if something does happen. I think you would agree with all that. Oh, absolutely. Um, I very much support people's right to open carry, but I personally don't believe in it for myself. seems like it, it doesn't put you in the best position, position of advantage. Right. Uh, I, and I agree. Surprise. And I agree. And, and I think when you see this, because I've seen it a lot in Texas, um, a lot of people carry. And then when I lived in Arizona, a lot of people open carried, too, when I was in the military. Um, a lot of people would use the argument that, well, if they see that guns are there, people are going to be less likely to do something. I, I don't think that's true at all. I, I think that it, that just lets you know who's going up against you. Right. And I mean, there, I guess there could be a point where that's true where if you have 90% of the population that's open carrying, maybe that argument holds up. But I personally have not heard or seen where that percentage of the population is open carrying. When I've seen it, it's just one or two people here and there. Uh, yeah. Which and kind of seems irresponsible. Not necessarily irresponsible, but it doesn't seem like those people are training to the level that they probably should be to be doing what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with you. Uh, but you go back to that thing again, where you tell people, I don't think that's a great idea. Maybe we should maybe take that one off the books or we should do whatever. And then, well, I should be allowed to do that. And I, I think that that's where you get a lot of the infighting um, right. in, in everything. And I think that that in the end ends up hurting the cause because you start getting into arguments about the minutiae of it when the whole point of uh -huh. it is to keep and bear arms and to, you know, be able to protect yourself, protect your family. But then again, I think you would agree that a lot of people that maybe even carry, um, you know, concealed carry maybe aren't practicing up to the level that they need to be. Absolutely. You're going to have that, that infighting argument really about everything. And we've had it about nine and 45 forever or, striker fired versus 1911s or I don't know, ARs versus AKs. There's always infighting within probably any segment of any industry, but it's definitely, it doesn't further our cause or further our overall mission at all. Right. And, and, and here's the thing. When we bring up uh, rifles, a, a lot of the argument is nobody needs an assault rifle. Nobody in their house needs an assault rifle. That That's the argument that's made. Uh, I disagree with that. I, I believe that that's that whole thing where you should be able to own whatever gun. But I also believe that you should know how to use it, too. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I believe with, with the things when they talk about, because I think that's the kind of the calling card every time this happens. we got to ban assault weapons. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. What do you see happening? Let's say it passed and assault rifles were banned. Um, what do you see happening? Uh, I, I mean, 
I don't know. I mean, it all depends on how they went about it. If they grandfathered things in, or if they did like straight up confiscations, or if they did mandatory buybacks, or I think it would all depend on how they went about it, and then what classifies as an assault rifle, because even Chipman couldn't define that. Well, and the reason that I asked that question is because what a lot of people think is happening right now is with the tax stamps and with everything that's going on, they feel like they're just pricing people out of the market. If you want to get a silencer, if you want to get additions put on the, the, the tax stamps and stuff. So the, a lot of people feel like, well, we're just going to be priced out when when it was mentioned that if you have a high capacity magazine, you're going to be charged a tax on each high capacity magazine that you have. If you're um, have certain weapons, you're going to be charged a tax on those. To me, that's where it kind of begins is. If you price people out, no one's going to be able to afford it. The problem that you have with that is good law-abiding citizens then can't afford it, then become on the other side of the law because they haven't bought the tax stamp. They haven't done everything that they're supposed to do because there's so many hoops to jump through. It hurts the gun industry in the end, and then it hurts the person that is trying to do the right thing. Because once again, you go back to the criminal doesn't care. If, if there's a tax on high capacity magazines, there it, it's just not going to happen. Another point that they bring up is that we always talk about how the guns are used bad. We don't talk about the defense that they have. Now, there was a study done in 2013 that said 60,000 to 3 million times a year people use their guns for defense. Uh-huh. Uh, and that's not a, a topic that's being approached. Can I get your thoughts on that topic? It just doesn't fit the narrative. So why would you push something that doesn't fit your overall objective? Yeah. Uh, And the whole thing with it is, is that I think that's a very good argument, though, for it to show the defense that it's using, to show the families that it's protected, to show the people that it's protected. Everything, if you're looking at it, and I've said it before, if everything looks like a nail, you're always going to be a hammer. So if we don't look at it in the self-defense, if we don't look at it, we can never, I think, truly come to a, an agreement on it. And I think that there can be an agreement reached. I'm not saying that everyone's going to be like, yeah, have whatever weapons you want, carry whatever weapons you want. But I think that there can be uh, some common ground in there. And I think it starts yeah, with the, education. The, yeah, the problem with common ground is that the other side's never going to reach any common ground with you. They're just going to keep incrementally, I guess, eroding your your rights away. I, I I agree, and that's you know when I bring up the with the taxes and all those kind of things like that. Um, do you think that the number of law-abiding gun owners, people that are following everything, do you think that's another topic that's kind of overlooked in this in this kind of high-powered disagreement with the government? We're, we're looking at, we're basing all of our decisions on criminals. If you look at everything from a bad standpoint, everything is going to be bad. We don't look at law-abiding. We don't compare number of criminals to number of uh, law-abiding citizens that have done everything correctly. I, I think that that's another point of this argument that's missing. Absolutely. And really, they're kind of dishonest about all of the, the number of people killed with firearms each year anyway. Because if you look at the number of people that are killed by, we'll go with AR-15s instead okay. of assault weapons, since no one, no one really knows what that is. Okay. 
Um, that number is surprisingly low for what they're trying to ban. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's in the low, like in the low t- or in the mid 200s of people that are killed each year with AR-15 style rifles. So would you say that more, you know, another number that I looked at, and I don't have it in front of me, was I looked at homicides versus like suicides, things like that, where all those numbers were kind of being roped into one, uh, where the same kind of instrumentation was used. It was completely separate circumstances, but it was still being used as this firearm was used to do this. And I think that once again, hurts the numbers because you're stacking that statistic in the wrong direction. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if you're going just based on number of people killed, then we got to get rid of hammers, fast food, (laughs) hands and feet. You got rid of all kinds of things. So it doesn't really seem like it's about safety. It's just about control. And so do you ever see any of this kind of going away? I know I kind of asked you that in the beginning, but do you ever see um, a place where we reach where it's either one way or the other? Hopefully, we never get to that place. Uh, is it possible? Yes. But I think you have enough good people out there, enough good local leadership that hopefully that doesn't come to a head. And, and I agree with you. I, I think the big thing is education. Whether people want it or not, I think it's education. People need to be at the forefront. And you have to have someone at the forefront that is well-spoken. You can't have a lunatic out in front raising your banner for you you have to you have to have people oh, that are educated and i think that's another problem that that we run into a lot where you get you know people talking that probably shouldn't be talking out in public about gun safety right that's because all the the people that would be good at it don't necessarily want to get out there and put their face out there Right. Yeah, I I completely agree. So let's get to what we talked about tonight. I I just wanted to kind of talk about that because I think that it's a hot button topic right now. I think it's be I think it's more than ever before from about 2016 on, it became a really hot button topic. And I think we really started to get a dividing lines about this was happening and that was happening and it was all because of this and we weren't looking at true numbers and i think that people haven't been educated and i think that it's a it's a dangerous precedent to set when people don't know about what's going on they're just hearing the talking heads or the bits of pieces that are coming out absolutely but i do think this last year through lockdowns and riots and everything like that, that a lot more people are getting educated and getting into shooting and buying guns for the first time and taking those steps towards education, toward education. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because I'd like to talk about that for a minute. I'm glad that you brought it up mm-hmm. though. It seems strange to me that we talked forever about that these things were killing people and we need to get rid of them. And then we saw where people were locked down in their houses. We saw riots, we saw cities burning And then a lot of people started changing their mind like, well, maybe it could happen here. Maybe I do need to step into this. And it it, it seems weird that opinions can kind of rotate on the dime whenever Mm -hmm. it starts to affect that person. Absolutely. 
And I, I think that, you know, you're always going to have the people that love guns. You're always going to have the people that hate guns. But I think that middle ground is starting to grow a lot more just in the simple protection of maybe their home. Not even that they want to carry a gun around, but just to protect their mm-hmm. home or their family. Because let's let's not joke around. I mean, 2020 and 2021 have been two very, very crazy years. Oh, yeah. And, and I think a lot of people's life circumstance changes to where they go from single to potentially having a a spouse and a child, then they have more to lose. They have more to protect. And they kind of go into that role of protector, if you will. And they yeah. realize, hey, this is something I need to do and have for my home and my family. Yeah, I, I completely agree. But I'm glad that you brought up the riots. You know, I've talked to a lot of guys on the show and I've talked to him about, you know, if we have to board up downtowns of major cities to have a presidential election, something has definitely gone wrong somewhere along the way. And I absolutely I worry that if we veer too far either left or right from the center, we're going to we're going to have a lot of trouble. And and we seem to be veering more left these days. We're getting a lot more talking heads on that side. And I I see bad things coming from it. And that silent majority kind of has to speak up, coming up to make that middle ground a lot more accessible to people. And like you said, it it happened during the riots and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it seems like we're having poor leadership in those areas. Like if you notice cities that had good leadership, they didn't have any problems. Right. It seems like poor leadership in the, I guess, metropolitan areas are where the problem area is at the moment. Yeah. And, and, and you even had problems in metropolitan areas and then you had bad problems in metropolitan areas. I just got back from Washington state a couple of weeks ago and I flew into Portland to get there. That place is a mess. I mean, it's, I talked to the Uber driver and they told me, they actually said, you can walk down the street now, pee in the middle of the sidewalk and no one will say a word to you. They said it's, it's, lost complete control like no one even cares anymore and when you have those major metropolitan cities like that that have that trouble that becomes trouble for everybody oh yeah so i don't i don't know that there's an answer right away to it but i'm i'm hoping that like you said, we can come to more of a middle ground. So let's talk about what we're here for, your product. Uh, this is the last thing, and we have a lot to talk about with your products. But what I want to do is kind of break it down into sections. I want to go through the styles of carry, and I want you to tell us what those styles of carry do, uh, what's the advantages to them, the disadvantages to them, and we can just start out with appendix carry. Okay. For appendix carry on our black point line, we have our dual point. Um, that one, it's got a, a main front clip where we use all metal attachments. Uh, lately, I've been using the DCC monoblock a lot. Um, it has an optional magazine attachment. If you want to have that, that's removable with a piece of leather. So it's flexible. So you don't have the, the problem of where your body curves kind of in the front, the holster trying to fight which way it's going to go and then creating a lot of stress into the holster. And then on the side of that, we have a strut loop and that sits on the inside of your belt and it kind of pushes against your belt to push the butt of the gun into your body to aid in concealment. 
And then that holster can also be flipped outside the waistband just with an extra bracket that we have. Um, so you kind of get dual purpose with the same holster. What I like about it is, uh, and you pointed out on the website, it doesn't inadvertently become exposed while you're bending over because that's a big problem. Mm-hmm. And so, absolutely, and with the that's an advantage of the appendix position is that, as opposed to say four or five o'clock carry, you bend over and it's still easily concealed. Right. Yeah. Um, so this one is is a strange one. Um, but I really like it. We talked about it before the show. I, I really like the way this one looks. It's you guys' chest carry, and it's when a belt's just not an option. But I want to mm-hmm. talk about how you guys make it, what it's used for, and where you can really put these into action. So really they shine if you're doing anything with a, a backpack with a like a hip belt, and normal holsters aren't comfortable, or if you're wearing any type of bib, pant, or waiter, and you just don't have traditional belt loops. Um, or just any type of backcountry use, it works well. And then I've had several people use them while running just as an option to kind of get it off their waist so they're easily mobile, but then still have their weapon with them. Um, and then the, the harness is something that Blue Force Gear makes for us and that uh, it's super lightweight, super thin, but very comfortable to wear for all-day use. And then it's got a one side of it opposite of, I guess, where the force is put, where you're drawing. It has a bungee in there. So as you breathe, it kind of expands and contracts with you, and it's comfortable for all-day use. Let me ask something about the the running with the chest carry. Do you see that you get a lot of a bounce to it, or is it going to stick to your chest? Because I think a lot of people put their... <laughs> I think a lot of people put their weapons in their fanny packs when they go mm-hmm. run and you're going to get a lot of flop on that. But with that chest rig, is it going to be able to stay close? Are people going to have to worry about it bouncing or rubbing or anything like that? I think that'll all be a, a function of how you set the chest rig up for you, depending on where you put it and then how tight you cinch it up. Like if you take a lot of the slack out of the bungee and you cinch it pretty tight, it's not going to really bounce on you. Um, but I've really just been running with an appendix holster because I don't want uh, I don't want that I guess open carry profile while I'm out running. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about outer waistband, uh, more natural fit to the body. I think this mm-hmm. is where a lot of your people, whether it be open carry, if they carry their shirt over it to conceal it, I think this is what a lot of people are using. Would that is that correct? Oh yeah, especially our leather wing. That's probably our most popular. Okay. So that one, all kydex on the on the gun, and then leather on the attachment, so it'll bend and flex with you, but it'll still stay in the same place all day. Um, it's ob- it's obviously not going to conceal as well as an inside the waistband holster, but it's extremely comfortable. It hides well. You can wear it under a shirt or a jacket, and then it is inside the waistband convertible. Okay. And, and how is that, uh, is that just with an additional option on it or what? Yeah. You just take the outside the waistband loops off the leather and then put it inside the waistband loop on the front. Okay. And it's basically just a beefed up mini wing at that point. Okay. Uh, another thing that I thought was interesting about it, the retention screws that allow for the adjustability of the retention on it is, is, can mm-hmm. you talk about that a little bit? Cause that was pretty interesting to me. Absolutely. Um, Everyone kind of just has a different 
feel of what they like. Like some people have shoulder problems or are a little more advanced in age and they want one that's a little lighter because they can't pull one out as easily. Um, but then some guys are running and potentially fighting and they like something that's a little stronger. So that just gives the end user um, capability just adjusted however they want. Now in level one, level two, level three, you know, they talk about retentions. It, it, can we, is that covered with this or is it not really a level one, level two, level three with that retention screw? It can't be considered that because there's not latches and stuff like that. Or what would it be compared to for retention right. level? So the levels to my knowledge are uh, safari land invention. So it's just terminology that they use. Okay. For theirs, uh, that was later adopted by the law enforcement community. So I think level one would be a friction lock, which is what these would be. Um, Level two would be like the Safari Land ALS, and then level three would be a hood, and then right. the button. Right. So, yeah, these um, are all just level one. But but with that, I will say because of the one that you've sent me, it's not just I. I what I don't want people to hear is that it's a level one, and that people are just going to be able to come up because it's not just a thing where you come up and pop that thing out of there. It's it's not like that. Um, I think that you guys' holsters hold very well for being. I guess you would say, and that's why I brought that up level one, level two, level three, you can, you're, you're exactly right. It's used in the law enforcement area, but I feel like I want people to know how well they retained in you guys' holsters, that it's not a simple bump it into something. And it's going to fall out of your holster. Oh no. Oh, we want like, I want you to be able to take off, run as fast as you've ever run, get in a fight when you get there. And then your gun's still retained in the holster. So let's talk about, we did a little bit, but let's talk about the leather wing and then the, uh, the mini leather wing. Um, mm -hmm. Because the way you guys describe it on your website is that it's a Kydex footprint, but then it has uh, the trimming is, uh, you trim off the excess Kydex and, right. Kydex. and then this one is the ultimate comfort. But I thought it was interesting that you put reliability and concealability because the way I look at it is the reliability would come with more Kydex, but you guys say it's with this leather wing. Oh yeah. So for, I guess for the mini wing, um, we really stripped down a leather wing and took off all of the, the unnecessary top attachment points because you don't need them for inside the waistband attachment loops. Um, and then, like I said earlier with the leather, it's not going to collapse on you when you draw the gun out, but you still get a good, a good lock on the pistol. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to talk about that on the mini leather wing that what's interesting about it is it, is it doesn't collapse and it makes one handed holstering easier. I think mm -hmm. that a lot of people that are new to it have trouble with that one handed holstering there. They kind of want to feel with that lead hand kind of guide it and, and all that kind of stuff. But the way that you guys are set up, it's very easy for that one handed. Right. Which is what we don't want people to do is use that second hand. Cause you end up flagging yourself and then right. no one wants to shoot themselves in the hand. That's embarrassing. But a lot of people don't think about that whenever they're trying to learn how to do that. When they're getting used to a holster or stuff, you will see it a lot of people oh, yeah. that, that just want to kind of, I don't know if they want to guide the weapon down to there or if they think it, I, I don't know what it is, but you will see that a lot. And I think that the more comfortable people get that they can just do it one-handed, that they're not going to have to use, 
then you get away from that um, because shooting yourself in the hand is it, it's just embarrassing for everybody. Not not mm-hmm. just you, but everyone that may have taught you how to use a pistol or it's just embarrassing. So, oh, yeah. Ruins you your day for sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, you know what? I'll tell you a story off air about someone that I knew going through the academy uh, with something like that. But it, it's a good story, but I'll tell it off the air. Okay. <laughs> so I want to get into where you guys have backing from guys that have been there, done that. And I'm talking about Kyle Lamb and Bill Rapier. And you guys are backed by both of them. First with the Viking Tactical uh, in waistband. Uh, Kyle came to you guys, right? And said that this is what he was looking at. And he -hmm. had some ideas. And now you guys are teamed together. Now, if anybody doesn't know who Kyle Lamb is, you should probably look him up. Because he's one of the baddest men I know, along with Bill Rapier. Uh, So let's talk about the Viking Tactical one and your affiliation with them, because to me, that gives you guys like even more street cred because to team up with Viking tactical is, is crazy in its first sense. And then you guys do five pistol models, uh, on that. So can we talk about that? Yeah, that was one, I guess that came from our relationship and networking with SIG, um, is that Kyle had gotten some of our other holsters and then wanted to collaborate on one. Um, and kind of gave us the specifications of what he was looking for in specifically an appendix holster. And then that's kind of where we landed on or how the, the VTAC IWB came about. I think one of the the cooler things about that one is the, uh, the removable pad on the back. Cause a lot of people lately are liking a pad for appendix carry, which is comfortable. It helps lift the front end of the pistol up so that it pulls the back end in towards you so it fits tighter um but then some guys are just don't like it because they feel like there's too much going on so we have it removable and then we have it height adjustable so we can you can really tweak it to work for you well i know the one that you sent the friend of mine had all different kinds and they've kind of figured i told you they were working you know it through its paces and they've figured out the clip that that really kind of sunk it down and and put it in there where they liked it Um, Mm -hmm. but, but they had to go through that. But once again, if you're looking at other holster companies, you're not going to get that kind of customer service where you're going to figure out this is where it needs to sit. This is how it feels good to me. You're going to get, here's what it is at Academy, uh, buy it, take it home or Bass Pro Shop. And that's the end of it right there. Right. But at the end of the day, we're all different. We all like different things. Everything fits us differently. Um, so we try to build each one as modular as possible. Like the mini wing is extremely modular. You can change the direction, the cant of the wings, the height, where they sit on the holster. You can put them over the front of the holster to make it more minimal. Um, and same on the on the VTAC. You can move that pad around. You can move the clips up and down. Um, one of the, the, the belt clips on the front is slightly angled inward to pull the belt in, to pull the the grip of the gun in tighter to your body again. So just another concealment feature there. So we try to build them as adjustable and modular as possible. Let's talk about forward of three. Uh, this is Bill Rapier. Uh, anybody knows him from Amtech shooting, Amtech blades. He was a dev guy. I mean, he's another guy that 
of the two guys that you got, I don't think that you could have done better on guys with knowledge and not just knowledge about weapon retention and and using those weapons, but just in knowledge of this is what works, this is what will last, this is what will break down. And I think it 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 talks great for you guys that that they uh, so heartily back you up. Bill so much as in you sell she's for his knives. We do. Um, so the four to three kind of came about where um, we had met a while back and he was using several of our other holsters and kind of said that he didn't have one that did exactly what he wanted. Um, and he was telling me where he wanted it to wear. He wanted to wear at two o'clock forward of three. So that it was, it was fast. It struck the balance between fast and then it was good for combatives. So it was really hard to get gun disarmed and you could easily like put your arm on top of it and retain your pistol. So then that's kind of, we went back and forth for a while on designs and then that's where we got on the FO3. And, and just to bring it up, it talks about it on your website again, but one of the most important elements is to help that transition. And it talks about transition from pistol to knife to just hands and feet, um, being able to go back and forth quickly. And I think that's all of the Amtac stuff is built kind of for that. Uh, the, it's a fixed blade and things like that to be able to move quickly from stage to stage or wherever you may need to be in that, be able to go back and forth between them. But once again, like I tell you, the guys that you have backing you up, I mean, it, it's super street cred for you guys. It's amazing that, that in such a small amount of time, you've built such a name up in that community. Thank you. We're very privileged and honored to work with both of them. Let's talk about some of your other products. Let's talk about your multi-tool or the Multitasker Series 3X multi-tool. Now, this one's different from most multi-tools you'll buy. You can go to Lowe's, you can go to Home Depot, you can buy multi-tools. I mean, Leatherman was big when I was in the military, but yours is a different breed. It's, it's almost like you guys want to take things and Frankenstein them up to where they are steroided versions of the same with your holsters with this multi-tool. It, it does so many different things and it's built so rugged that if you can talk about it, that'd be great. Yeah. So that one multitasker makes, um, that one's not ours. We're just, we're just reselling multitasker, but it's a really impressive set of pliers. The pliers and the wire cutters on there are much better and much stronger than any other that you would normally have. Um, it has a bunch of tool adjustments that you can quickly make. Like it, ha it comes standard with a front sight tool on it, which is extremely useful. It's yeah. a great addition to a range bag. It's got a, a, a castle nut tool, which is often handy at rifle classes. Um, it's a pretty handy tool to have at your, in your range bag or with you out on the range. Um, any reason why you guys uh, chose that one to kind of team up with? Was it another thing where they came to you? How did that kind of get together? Um, yeah, I mean, it was probably networking and then really liking the tool. So let's talk about your MagPods. Um, they have kind of a couple different features on them that mm -hmm. make them different. They function as an effective monopod. And then uh, they provide an extension for the drawing of the magazine out. Yeah, and that's 
that's the same style deal. That one, we're, uh, we don't make those. Those are ones right. we're reselling for MagPod, but it's a, it's a pretty slick option to be able to not have a bipod on your gun, but get added st- stability in your primary mag. Yeah, because if you've ever tried to set one down on just a regular magazine, they they tend to move around on you, and and uh, it's just not that comfortable. But once again, we talk about where you've teamed up with someone that that makes a good product. There's there's nowhere in your entire line of stuff that you do, stuff that other people do, that people could kind of take a second look at. Um, we already talked about the Amtac blade sheaths, but if you could, uh-huh. it's kind of an upgraded Northman package um, with you guys. Now, you show it on the website, but with it, I, I'm guessing it, it's kind of the same philosophy with the Kydex and everything. Um, what was your idea behind it? Was it something that was approached to you, or how was that? Yeah, so that one's in full collaboration with Bill Rapier. Um, the the pop for for the Northman, the pocket sheath comes with the blade, so it gives you a a rigid pocket sheath that will retain um, user adjustable on the retention. Um, so as it, I guess, loosens over time or your blade gets worn over time, you can tighten it up or you can adjust it to whatever tightness you want. And then it also has a fire seal on there, so you're never without fire. And then it has a built-in Velcro compartment on the back, so you can put fire starting material or whatever small item you'd like to have on you all the time. Let's talk about some of your pouches, if you could walk us through those. Absolutely. So the most popular is probably our modular accessory pouch. So then you can have, say, a pistol mag, rifle mag, a uh, handcuff pouch or a pistol handcuff pouch uh, are pretty popular options. Um, and then you have like our inside the waistband mag pouches. So say you're carrying it three or four o'clock and then you want to have a mag on your other side, say nine or eight o'clock. Um, it's a good, it's a good low profile option to have a, a rigid holster but one that's still pretty low profile and comfortable. Um, you also sell the radio pouches and stuff. Now these mm-hmm. were pretty interesting looking at them. They seem pretty rugged. Cause if you look at most radio pouches for, for law enforcement or for military, you're looking at like a weaved uh, either leather or some kind of thick, like cloth material. This one is, I mean, it really grabs around it and protects right. not only uh, like keeping it on you, but protects the actual radio itself. Absolutely. We hear, we're hearing countless stories of guys getting in foot chases and then losing the radio while in pursuit, which is a pretty big problem. Yeah. Um, one, considering that it's very expensive, it's encrypted, and then usually whenever the, the chase is over, you need to let everyone know where you're at. Um, so we kind of came up with this pouch that it's all one piece of Kydex wrapped around the radio. It has adjustable retention built into it. And then it has, uh, like friction lock on the Kydex and then it also has a bungee over the top. So it's very well locked in, but then stills allow, there's a, a hole cut out for the PTT and then there's a, an opening for whatever mic attachment that you have on there. And then sides are adjustable. 
attachments adjustable for if you want to wear it on a, a molly vest or a, a belt. So. So will that cover, because I, I guess I may not have understood you, will that cover most any kind of portable radio that you're going to carry, like a Motorola or anything, or will it only? It does. Yeah, it does the Motorola 6 and 8,000s, and then there's a separate one for the 7,000. And then on the 6, 8,000s, you have the long battery variation also. Right. And there's a separate model for that. Okay. So fully adjustable. But it can be covered by most everything that's going to be used. Right. For those, for those Motorola right, 6, right. 7, 8, Yeah. Right. I don't think anyone's using Sabres or anything anymore. So I, no. <laughs> I think But Motorola. you never know. There's always, there's true. always something else. True. That is true. Uh, could they get something fitted if they needed that? Um, to an extent. Okay. If it's just some like off the wall, crazy radio that right. we don't have. Then. <laughs> yeah. Yes. If, if they're willing to order enough that justifies making the absolutely the molds and everything like that for them. Absolutely. So let's talk about a couple of the other people that you work with. So you work with six hour and a refactor tactical. Um, mm-hmm. If you can talk about your relationship with those two, and then we're going to kind of circle around back and, and tell everyone where they can find you, how they can get their stuff, how it can be ordered, lead times, all that kind of stuff. So if you can talk about six hour and refactor for a minute. Yeah. The, uh, SIG started several years ago. We were just making exclusive line of holsters for them, and that's been a, a great relationship. We've come out with several different models through the years with them, and that's something that's been, I'd say, very beneficial for both of us, where we're able to have holsters at launch of new pistols. Um, they have holsters available on their website. They sell them, um, I guess, through their, their sales network, and then it gives their customers kind of one-stop shopping to where you can get their trusted holster with their guns and whatever accessories all at the same time. And then with uh, refactor tactical. Yeah, that's a, that was a, a great relationship that we've had that we've come up with several products together, but that's just their, their branded holsters. Um, it's all the same leather wing, mini wings, but they're under their branding. And so have you found any trouble with um, teaming like that? I mean, it doesn't appear that you have, but any where people are like, hey, you just build them and we'll just put our name on them. So you're you're still out there. Do you ever, I don't want to say do you ever worry, but how do you let people know that 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 end product is a Black Point product? Right. We are, I mean, our logos are still on the back and it still says our name on the back. So I don't think there's any confusion that we're, we're making it. And then, I mean, anytime that you add extra people and there's always extra Absolutely. communication that has to occur, but that's not a negative. I mean, you make great relationships that way. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it, uh, I think it with the way you guys have done it, um, how many years has it been total now? We're in year 10. Okay. We started so January, 2012. In 10 years, you went from grandma's basement to 30 employees, uh, numerous companies that you're working with. Um, I'm sure you guys go to SHOT Show, all that kind of stuff. Uh, what is in the future for you guys? Um, we have, I mean, several new products that we're always working on. We're always adding pistols. We're always adding uh, variations, um, improving production process, improving output quality, 
just growing the business. Any, uh, any products that people can look forward to? I mean, I don't want to do any like secret stuff that you're doing, but any products that people could maybe start looking forward to that you guys are going to do? We have some that are hopefully coming out soon. Some, a few collaborations we've been working on. Um, we're doing a lot more of pistol light adding right now and then adding more models to crucial just so that we can have more, more items that people can get immediately. Good. Uh, tell people where they can find you real quick. Uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll kind of wrap this up. Absolutely. On Instagram, it's just BP tactical. And then our website is blackpointtactical.com. And don't forget crucialconcealment.com. And crucialconcealment.com. I know that that's the stepbrother to it, but uh, it's a very cool site too. So guys, once again, uh, Harvey, thanks so much for, for stopping by and telling us all about your products, talking about, uh, you know, second amendment gun rights with people. Uh, you guys are kind of at the forefront of all of this stuff as it's kind of evolving day to day with these open carries with carrying without a license it's you guys that are going to be the most affected by it so i'm glad that you guys stopped by and said something if you want to check out these guys for real go check them out on instagram bp tactical you can go to blackpointtactical.com and crucialconcealment.com uh also can you tell them where uh any kind of i know that you guys have all 50 states, but can they buy your product in most uh, stores? Um, a lot of stores. I don't want to necessarily say most. There's a dealer locator on the website, so okay. if you just put in your zip code, it should pop up. Okay, so guys, that's where you can find your dealers if you're up close or if you want to try and grab something right out of the store. Once again, uh, lead time on Black Point if you want to get. Crucial Concealment can get it out to you next day within three days. They can ship within the next day and then be to you within two or three days. Uh, the Black Point stuff is going to be, you said, uh, about an 18-week lead time? Yeah, we're there right now. We're bringing it down, but okay. it's, it's around there as of today. Guys, it's absolutely worth the 18 weeks. I promise you, you will not be disappointed with these. The ones they sent me, the ones they sent some people that I work with, uh, they absolutely love them. I love mine. You guys should check these guys out. Give them your love. Buy from them repeatedly. So once again, crucialconcealment.com, blackpointtactical.com. Catch them on Instagram. If you want more of me, you can find me on Twitter at DoublespeakDJ. You can find me on Facebook at the DTD Podcast. And you can find me on YouTube at the DTD Podcast. Remember, you guys stop by here every week because the best stories are true. That's going to be it. That's Harvey. I'm DJ. That's been the show. We'll catch you on the next one. See you guys.